hello. Welcome to uh, the Royal Central podcast from royalcentral.co.uk. I'm Lydia Starbuck, the associate editor. I'm Brittany Barger, and I'm the deputy editor. I'm Kristen Contino, and I'm chief reporter. And I'm Jess Isles, senior royal reporter and editorial assistant. And uh, you're all very welcome to um, a special edition of our podcast. Um, It's a sad edition. This is a podcast focused on the life and legacy of His Royal Highness, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, who passed away on April the 9th, 2021, at the age of 99. It was an announcement that none of us wanted to hear. And it was a bit of a surprise the way it came in the end, wasn't it? I don't think anyone was expecting it when it did, although it has that sense of inevitability about it now. It did take us by surprise. Yeah, I wasn't expecting. I mean, yesterday my husband woke me up and said, shouldn't you be working? And I said, why? It's seven something. And he said, well, Prince Philip died. And I'm not going to lie, like a slew of expletives came out of my mouth. I was just I was really shocked. Um, Not that I was that shocked, but, you know, he had come out of the hospital. I think we were all feeling a little more positive about how he had been doing. And you know, it wasn't something I had expected to hear yesterday. So, yeah, I think a lot of people feel the same way. For sure. And I think I, too, was expecting there to be, like, rumors on Twitter. Like, there's a flurry of activity at Windsor Castle. Mm. Announcement imminent. And it really just, it seemed to come out of left field, the tweet announcing his death. Yeah, I mean, I think we all thought after he left the hospital that, he'd make it to 100 or we were at least all hoping that he would make it to 100 I think when he he left the hospital we all could see that he did not look like he was in the best of health in those photos I mean that was that was apparent Um, but so maybe it was a lot of people blind hope I don't know if that's the right word but hoping that he could just hold on until June but it was definitely a surprise when it came at it was 7 a.m. for me when I got the phone call from Monique, our um, assistant editor in the Netherlands. My phone starts ringing at 7 a.m. and I answer it and she's like, uh, for real this time, Prince Philip has died. Okay, I'm up. I'm awake. I'm awake. (laughs) So it was was a shock the way it happened. I think we, like Jess was saying, we kind of expected the way things had been going to have a hint ahead of time. And I was kind of pleased we didn't. I'm pleased it kind of all just happened very peacefully and very calmly at home with the Queen. And the first we knew was that announcement that took everybody by surprise because there's been so much speculation in, in the months beforehand where he spent so long in hospital and we saw Charles visiting. And I think there were so many days where people were on standby expecting the news to come out. And in a way, it felt very appropriate for the Duke of Edinburgh, who was always so in control of everything and kind of did things his own way that in the end... No one was really expecting it. Like you, Brittany, I thought he's out of hospital. He obviously had that heart surgery. He was taken to Bart's, which is a centre of excellence for heart surgery. And he had the operation. It was successful. He went back to King Edward VII's hospital. He rested. He went home. So you kind of thought, yeah, that health scare's dealt with. And then hindsight's a wonderful thing. When you look back over the last few weeks, we haven't really seen very much of any members of the royal family. Usually we see little engagements for Anne, video calls cropping up on Twitter. There was none of that. And then when you think back, the last person we saw was Camilla, who actually, when she was out in Haringey in the week, was dressed all in black. And then you you look back and you kind of think, actually, the clues, the clues were there, but they just managed to keep it how they wanted. 
Mm-hmm. They, they, they managed to keep it private, which is, I think, what Philip wanted. Um, I, I, they have said now that he wanted to go home so he could die peacefully in his own bed. And I can completely re- respect that. Um, no one wants to be, especially in the times of COVID, you can't be surrounded by your family. So if he was at the castle in his private apartment, the queen was right there by at his bedside. You know, the woman he had been married to for 73 years. So, you know, that was that was a comfort for for him to have her there. And and it was easier for the kids to sneak in and out of the castle to come see him, grandkids to say goodbye than it would be where the media is staring at a hospital. Yeah. And this last week in the UK, we have had slightly looser restrictions. So people are allowed to meet in outside spaces. And Windsor Castle is big enough, I'm sure, to find an outside space that would be warm enough for a 99 year old if they did want to get people in and out. We we don't know who was there. We know Charles was there last weekend, Easter weekend, because we saw that photo of him and the Queen. But it is it it's, must be a great comfort for the family that in the end he slipped away at home. And as you said, Brittany, with his wife of 73 years um, by his side, and this is probably where it gets really hard to discuss, isn't it? Because we're talking about the loss of Britain's longest serving consort, which is something in itself. But we're talking about a husband and wife parting after over seven decades of marriage. And it's almost incomprehensible, isn't it, to think of the Queen without Prince Philip at her side? Definitely. I mean, she's been in love with him since she was 13 years old. And he's always been a lockstep behind her for seven decades. I can't imagine what she feels and what her family feels right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, to to love someone for so long and to be to be sorry, I'm. <laughs> I'm trying not to tear up here talking about this um, to to love someone for so long and to have someone that you called your rock that was always by your side, that was steadfast, that you knew that you could turn to no matter what. That was this formidable figure that I mean, I cannot imagine the immeasurable loss that she's going through, that the whole family is going through, but I mean, to be almost 95, her birthday is, what, in a week, week and a half, roughly? I mean, that, the pain, I can't, it's, it, it's incomprehensible. It really is. It is. And it's, it's, I mean, over the last few years, the Duke of Edinburgh obviously stepped back from most public activity in August of 2017. So we've had three and a bit years to get used to not seeing them as that, that familiar pair out on engagement. So in a way, we've kind of prepared ourselves for it, but the finality of him actually going, the end of that partnership, it is, it's very difficult to judge, isn't it? Because it was such a, a huge partnership in the history of the British monarchy, in the history of the UK and the Commonwealth itself, because there's no doubt a large part of the success of the Queen's reign is down to the Duke of Edinburgh and down to her stable marriage and down to the fact that they they did the job together. But to think of her now having to come to terms with moving on without him you can't help but feel everything for her definitely and if you think about about it just from a global perspective the i mean there's really not a person on this planet that knows a life without prince philip in it 
I mean, he has been a figure in everyone's life of some sort. And the British royal family is known all across the world. They're a royal family everybody knows about. So, I mean, the loss of him is not just, I mean, it's obviously a massive loss for Britain and the Commonwealth, but just on a global scale. I mean, this this is a man that everyone kind of thought that would always be there because he always had been. Just like the Queen. I mean, this this is someone that has presidents change, politicians change, prime ministers and everything, but they stay the same and now now he's he's gone. Yeah, I have to say I've been surprised at the scope of reaction because yes, it came as a surprise that he had passed away, but then we've been talking about the possibility he might pass away for a number of years now. His health has been up and down. But actually the reaction here in the UK has been, I don't know, slightly more deep than I expected most of the people I spoke to yesterday were genuinely saddened by it you know and and the flags are all at half mast and there's black cloth across photographs of him but there does seem to be a far deeper sense of loss than I had anticipated for a 99 year old man who in his lifetime had been controversial I was going to ask about that actually about different reactions because out of the four of us two of us or American, one Canadian and one British. Um, I don't think in America there's been, and Brittany, I'm sure, you know, you can chime in on this too. Like it's been in the news, but the headlines say, you know, Prince Philip, husband of Queen Elizabeth II. Like it has to be explained who he is in the headline, which Mm -hmm. I kind of roll my eyes at. Um, One of my friends actually said, who's Prince Philip? And I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Think yeah. in America, unless you are a keen royal watcher or maybe you're a fan of the crown or I mean I think most people do know who he is but there are definitely people who are just kind of like what um which I find bizarre but it's definitely not as big of a I, people are like oh that's really sad you know that's a shame but just you know in my own personal Facebook feed or whatever I'm not seeing a ton of people comment about it other than people who I would expect to because I know they're a fan of the royal family um just like not really as much a thing here yeah i mean it's been breaking news like when yeah. when the when the news came it was on all the news channels and that they spoke about it over and over and over again on CNN and Fox and, and MSNBC but um yeah, I don't think the American people are naturally going to be as distraught because we don't have a royal family. I think, though, I mean, people are definitely attached to the queen. I think Americans mm-hmm. have a great fondness for the queen. And also 100%. Will and Kate and Harry. And, like, people are more interested, I guess, in the younger royals. But Americans definitely have an attachment to the queen. So I think, you know, when she dies, it would be a much bigger thing and people upset but I guess you just didn't hear that much about Prince Philip here other than his you know his famous gaffes and that sort of thing you know his it's not like his his engagements would be on the news here where you know Will and Kate's engagements are on the news often here just normal engagements and that sort of thing just I guess maybe people just didn't know as much about him I'm not really sure you know what the case is but I just, yeah, it was interesting for me to see the reactions of people I knew, you know, because I have friends in you know, all different countries and my friends here just, it was kind of, well, that's sad. And that was kind of it. Here in Canada, I think the reaction's more mirroring the UK, um, our prime minister, because we are a Commonwealth country and 
our prime minister and our administrator of the government who's acting as the governor general, they both released statements. Um, flags have been ordered at half mast on all public and government buildings here until after the funeral. Um, and I don't know about other provinces, I haven't really looked, but our legislature here in Halifax adjourned yesterday just out of a sign of respect for Philip. So I think, yeah, it, it he, they, she is our head of state and he is our her consort. So we had the a more, like a bigger reaction. Yeah, I mean, obviously the reaction here has been huge. It's still all over the TV and radio and it will be for the next few days. And um, I'll hold up some of the papers. I don't know if you can see them that on the front of every single paper today. This one will make you cry. This is Phil and the Queen together. Goodbye, my beloved. But it's on the front of every single um, newspaper. And when I was um, out doing the shopping earlier on, you could see people kind of scurrying for the papers normally. Paper's quite expensive here now. I mean, I bought a Guardian as well. There we are. It's even on the front of the left-leaning Guardian. A Guardian's £3.20. I mean, I don't know why you spend that much money on a newspaper, but some people do. But they were kind of all lifting newspapers. Um, so I think it's because he's been around for such a long time. And like you said, Jess, he is the consort. We forget he's called Prince Philip, but actually if all things were equitable, he should be a king consort, you know, like a king has a queen consort, a queen should have a king consort, you know, you're talking about the death of a major figure in extraordinary times, because obviously with the COVID pandemic, there's not going to be that focus. We've seen people putting flowers outside Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle, a few outside Holyrood House, but there's not going to be that same kind of gathering that you saw when the Queen Mother passed away. Um, and of course, Diana was a completely different case, but when the Queen Mother, the last consort to die, and she was a dowager consort, there were big crowds in London. There were people queuing for hours and hours and hours to walk into Westminster Hall just to file past her coffin. I mean, it it takes you 15 seconds to walk past. You're not even stopping to stare. You're literally just walking past and going out of the building. But obviously this time round, that's not going to happen. Um, we don't find out the funeral plans um, just yet. They'll come out over the weekend of April the 10th, 11th, but we expect it to be very low key probably St George's Chapel and only 30 people allowed which seems a very sad way to end such a spectacular story. It really is and and if we weren't living in the times of this pandemic I think that originally the funeral was supposed to have around 800 people so I think we would have had foreign royals come in obviously members of the Greek royal family would have come in Um, we would have had probably a representative from all the other royal families as well. You maybe King Felipe and Queen Leticia of Spain. Um, they had that absolutely moving telegram to the Queen that I found that that one was really the most touching in my personal opinion. You, you know, they may have sent Crown Prince Victoria of Sweden, Håkon in Norway. Frederick and I mean Denmark you know it, it, we would have had foreign royals that would have been able to come in and really pay their respects but COVID has really put a damper on on honoring such a tremendous man. I was wondering if maybe they'd make a big ceremony and a statue unveiling in the future when all of these restrictions are lifted and then pay tribute to him that way. I think that would be fitting. Yeah, they may well do some sort of memorial service in, in the future where they can bring together the many organisations and um, 
groups that he supported because one thing that's come through in the coverage everywhere of um, his death is just how much he did in his royal life. He had hundreds of patronages, many, many links with different parts of the military. We've talked a lot in the last 24 hours about his war service. And my husband, he lives with a royal geek who's always going on about royal stuff, turned around to me. Yes, he goes, you never told me Prince Philip was in World War Two. It's like, well, was I meant to? I thought you knew that already. But <laughs> there's all these parts of his life that suddenly get pulled together. And it's striking just how much he achieved I mean I felt really lazy I was watching the obit last night the hour-long obit it's like that man did more in his 90s than I've done like in about 10 years I need to kick myself up the butt because he is you know he didn't let the grass grow under his feet no and so yesterday um, just you know one example of his you know patronages I was writing up about fields and trust which was his first ever you know royal thing he took on and he had seen you know children playing in the street in London and was really appalled you know these children didn't have a safe place to play and so he became president and he was their president for 64 years which is crazy to think about um that long of a commitment but he would go and you know work in their offices you know several days a week it wasn't like he just you know used his name and you know moved on with it and cut a ribbon here and there I mean he was literally going and working in their office and, you know, helping open these parks and places for kids to have safe places to play. And, you know, all over the UK now, there are these green spaces that, you know, people owe it to him that they even exist. I think what's remarkable too, is that there was an interview clip of him going around yesterday saying that there was really no guidelines for him when he married into the family. So everything that he achieved in his royal career was spun out of his own desire to do good and to achieve all of this. There was nobody behind the scenes saying that you're going to go cut this ribbon, you're going to patronize this charity. It was all the man himself wanting to make a change. And I think that's really admirable. Yeah, and he did kind of um, focus on things that hadn't necessarily come under the royal spotlight before. So where you were mentioning like seeing kids who didn't have anywhere to play, that wasn't something that was necessarily on anyone's radar. And maybe his own experiences in his early childhood where he was rootless, where he was being shoved from pillar to poster, it might be a slightly posher pillar than most people get shoved to, but he, he didn't have a home to call his own. He had a kind of empathy that always came through with young people searching for a purpose and, and they informed so much of what he did but the legacy of it becomes becomes fantastic. I mean, the Duke of Edinburgh award scheme is something that still goes on, still helps tens of thousands of people around the world every year. And, you know, that's a real lasting legacy. That's something that's not only changed individual lives, it, it changes the way that society can kind of develop because it, it plugged a gap that a lot of kids found. And I mean, I lived in Northern Ireland for 10 years, and it was really, really important there in cross community work that the kind of the scope of what he achieved is almost impossible to fathom, really, isn't it? Because it just rippled out and rippled out and rippled out and keeps on rippling out. Definitely. He made he made his mark um, with his charity work and everything. And now stories are coming out on different things that he did um, privately um i read not too long ago uh, after president kennedy had been assassinated in the 60s he flew to washington um 
obviously to pay his respects and everything. And he heard that JFK Jr., who was only around three years old, um, First Lady um, Jacqueline Kennedy said she couldn't find JFK Jr. So she went hunting for him. Well, she found him with Prince Philip, who was in the floor playing with him because JFK Jr. had made the comment that he had no one to play with and that he missed his daddy. So Prince Philip took it upon himself to get in the floor and play with him and comfort him. I mean, and that, that shows the type of person that he was. And there's photos and things um, that someone shared as well. Um, as Philip was there, I, I don't know if it was at the White House, but it was obviously in Washington and he was holding John John's hand. And it was just really sweet, you know, that he, I mean, he didn't have to do that. He's, the Queen's consort, you know, but he got down on the floor with a little boy who had just lost his father and was playing with him and comforting him. And I mean, I think that shows too the the type of man that he was, because if we think back, he didn't have, he didn't have a father. So he, he, he knew a little bit of the pain. His father wasn't, didn't lose his father in the same type of situation, but he was, he wanted to help, help JFK Jr. And I, I think that's something that, that's a story that should be shared. It's really lovely. I hadn't heard it. It's it's really moving, isn't it? And it kind of, it underlines his, his life as a family man, because lots of the pictures in the papers today and in the obits yesterday were with, of him with his kids and his wife and the grandkids. And He's been such a, ma- a major part, obviously, of their personal lives, but also of, of kind of the construction of the modern house of Windsor. It's him and the Queen who have reshaped what the monarchy is as, as we move through the 20th and then into the 21st century. And although he's taken a backseat over the last few years, he leaves a massive hole there, doesn't he? And it kind of brings into question how the monarchy will continue to develop. Now it's lost one of those hands on the rudder. It, it's moving into a new phase now and that must be daunting not just on a personal level but on a constitutional level because he's been so instrumental in holding them together dynastically and personally and now they have to move forward without that yeah it also I guess personally it made me think it's horrible to think about but like the time is coming soon you know when the queen won't be any here anymore and like it just makes you stop and think about that like the monarchy is changing so much and you know in however many years you know we'll have a different monarch and yeah it's just it's difficult to think about it's a big change and I feel like this is almost a dress rehearsal in a way um for what's to come yeah it is because Charles is now um Duke of Edinburgh we know that the title's earmarked for Edward, but he can't have it until it kind of merges with the crown and it can be redistributed. But it is a reminder that actually this 72-year-old man is the future. This is, you know, this is, it's it's now moving to him to take on the House of Windsor and move it forward. Of course, the Queen's still in charge, but it, there's no doubt Charles will have an even greater role in the monarchy now that his dad has gone because he, he has to be at his mum's side. It's not just, oh, state opening of Parliament, Charles is with her because Philip's not coming this time or, he's, you know, Charles is accompanying her to a memorial event. Now, 
she is by herself and so her company must be her heir maybe the Duchess of Cornwall but it does put the focus on what's to come next and with Charles being the heir and he's the eldest son so I mean it's natural that he steps up as the patriarch type into this patriarch type role for the royal family I mean obviously when Philip was in the hospital there was one person that went to visit him and that was Charles so that that shows you know their bond and and how Charles is going to have to step into those shoes so for now the winds is a morning uh, we know the queen is at Windsor Castle and obviously with Covid restrictions everybody kind of has to stay in their own homes um, Edward and Sophie visited her at Windsor on the morning of Saturday April the 10th and Sophie cried as she came out and that just made us all feel slightly emotional again um, so it's going to be an emotional few days we'll have the funeral um, and that will be the final chapter in the story of of the Duke of Edinburgh his his legacy goes on and there's there's lots about the legacy on the site on rawcentral.co.uk and on our social media um but we'll have another podcast for you very soon hopefully one with a slightly happier focus it's been um it's been fascinating to focus on his many achievements but very sad as well so thank you for listening to our podcast and we'll see you again very soon bye-bye <laughs>